Welcome to Exhale Bible Discovery. Each week, we'll take a deep dive into the Bible, going line by line and chapter by chapter to discover the truths that God has for us in His Word. Hi there, this is Dr. Paula McDonald with our Exhale Bible Discovery. Well, I hope you have your Bibles out and open because today we're entering John chapter 15. In 14, we learn that Jesus was teaching us about heaven and the Holy Spirit. And the main themes for this chapter are being pruned with Christ and being persecuted with Christ. So let's jump right in to being pruned with Christ in this first division, which will take us from verses 1 through 17. And the chapter opens with the last of Jesus's I am statements. So before we proceed any further, I just want to give you a quick review of the other I am statements that we've already seen. Well, we saw in John 6, I am the bread of life. In John 8, I am the light of the world. John 10, I am the gate. And again in John 10, I am the good shepherd. In John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. And in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then now this final one from John 15, I am the true vine. What a beautiful statement. All of them are beautiful statements. And so I want to dive into this beautiful metaphor of nature that Jesus gives us because he says his father is the gardener. I want to look at what a vine is. And so references to vines in the days of Jesus would have been met with much familiarity. In this part of the world, vines, especially those of grapes, they were plentiful and they were prized. And the people in those times cherished their vineyards and took great pride in cultivating and caring for them. And so a vine is obviously a plant with long, flexible, climbing stems. And in order for these stems to climb, they are equipped with special adaptations that allow them to wrap around a supporting structure. Grapevines are climbers that must be pruned to control the quality and the quantity of the grapes. And grapevines have extensive and underground root systems as well. And these roots must be firmly planted in order for the plant to pull the necessary nutrients and water to the entire plant. And so the vine has shoots, leaves, tendrils, flowers, and of course the fruit, the grape. And each structure has a specific function for the plant. Overall, this entire plant has many important parts. And you guys that have been listening to me, I know you know the geeky science person that I am, but putting science together and nature with God, our creator, brings it to life like none other. So let's look at roots. They are the unseen portion of the plant. 
and provide it with stability and sustenance. Leaves are food producing. They collect the sunshine that converts to sugars, which are life-giving. They're food. An interesting part of leaf anatomy are these pore-like structures called a stomata, and they open and close that allow the exchange of the gases of CO2 and O2. They're very cool. Then you have your branches, of course, the support structure for the plant. They're very vascular, allowing for the flow of nutrients and water to be distributed to the entire plant. Branches are strong, and the offshoots from the main part of the plant provide it the ability to continue to reach out and grow. Tendrils are a specialized structure that support and anchor the vine. It has the ability to intertwine completely around another structure. And any of you that are gardeners, you will totally understand this. Flowers, of course, reproductive part of the plant that will enable fruit to be grown, resulting in seeds that then allow the continued growth of new plants. Flowers also contain the fragrance and the pollen making it attractive to insects and birds. The pretty part, the part we love. They are so beautiful in color and shape. And then there's the fruit. From the ovary of the flower, the fleshly fruit contains seeds, and fruits and seeds contain a high content of nutrition. And then seeds then provide for a continuation of the plant. So isn't it easy to see the correlation between plants and the master gardener, who is God? If you garden at all, you are going to recognize God's perfect design of living things, and they reflect his amazing creation. So when we go back to this last I am statement, Jesus as the true vine, we can clearly see that Jesus encompasses all of life. He is connected and is a part of the main plant or God. He is the stabilizer, the life giver, the support, the anchor, the new life and growth, and the continuation of all life. And he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, is what the verse says when it continues. Because when Christ died and then ascended into heaven, those who believe in him, you guys, we are intertwined and we are a part of him. And therefore, those who choose to deny Christ and his teachings, they may not remain as a part of this whole plant of Christ. And then the verse says, while every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And a branch that is not producing is non-productive to the plant. It actually sucks life out of the plant. The branch will lose its lifeblood and begin to die. Any gardener understands that dead branches must be pruned for the good of the plant. And also, pruning allows for the plant to develop new strong growth. So when God removes those who are not serving his son or the church, it allows the body of believers to become even stronger. And you've heard the saying that one bad apple spoils the entire barrel. Well, all of us have most likely experienced those claiming to be Christians 
but they're not following him in the way that the Bible teaches us. They become detrimental to the church. They can actually become obstacles, and they become like dead wood that can harbor death and disease. The false Christian or dissenter is like an illness to the entire body of believers. And this is not to say that people are not redeemable, but that's up to them and Christ. What he's talking about here are those who are choosing to act in a certain way that is not helping his kingdom. And Judas, he was a great example of the pruning. Once he made the fateful decision to turn against Christ, he needed to be removed from the other disciples. Then the verse says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So Jesus offers believers a clean slate if we choose to follow him and obey his word. And then he inspires new growth in us. It's so beautiful. Then he says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Many translations of the Bible use the word abide rather than remain. And one definition of abide, meaning something that is never ending. And what a beautiful promise that was spoken directly by Christ. When we allow him to abide within us, we are then able to bear much fruit for the kingdom. And when we try to live without him, we allow ourselves to be detached from the main plant, Jesus, and we will not thrive the way we were created to thrive. Then he says, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. And so just as in plants, a branch has life as long as it is part of the plant. And apart from that plant, the branch is going to die. In our lives, when we are spiritually connected to Christ, we have life. Apart from him means no life, and we are now in a death mode. We are no good for the kingdom without Jesus. Therefore, dead wood is easily burned up because it's useless. It has no life in it. Then the verse says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Love is mentioned five times in these verses. Love, as we have learned throughout the book of John, is essential. Jesus mentions love 57 times in this book of John. Jesus was clear about love. He commands us to remain in love with him and with our fellow believers. And then in verses 9 through 17, mention love nine times. And so I wanted to go into a little bit about the word love because it's very misused today. There are lots of different types of love with different definitions. And so I've got this diagram that shows agape love with God 
as the middle and then these different loves around it. And I'm going to go through those for you. So this main agape love is God's true love for us, his people. And this type of love is mentioned over 200 times in the Bible and is mentioned more than any other type of love throughout the scriptures. God is love, agapos, meaning he is the source of agape love. His love is undeserved, gracious, and sacrificial. This type of love can only come from God. We cannot express agape love without being connected to Christ. And as we remain in him, we can learn this beautiful type of love. So very quickly, let me just give you some of the other types of love. They're all from Greek words, the eros, eros, E-R-O-S. It's the romantic love, the love that we mostly think about um, when we fall in love with somebody and we're, you know, all the romance. And then there's the philea, which is friendship type of love. Then there's the storge, which is our family love. The ludus, which is playful love. There's pragma, which is practical love. There's the phylatia, which is self-love. So all of those are different types of love. And we, in our society, think, oh, I love that dress or I love that food. And what we're talking about in John chapter 15 and throughout the Bible is this agape love, this unconditional, beautiful, perfect love that can only come from God. So let's move into the second division of this lesson, which is being persecuted with Christ. These are verses 18 through 27. And so the narrative now changes in these next verses as Jesus switches gears to discuss persecution. He goes from beautiful love to now persecution. And he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. This is such an important lesson for us as believers. Jesus is instructing his disciples to be prepared for persecution because of him. He knows fully that the disciples are going to endure a lot after he dies. And I can only imagine the skip in his heart knowing what was coming for them. Yet he lovingly instructs them in truth and in love. He isn't telling them everything was going to be roses and sunshine. He preaches truth. And part of his truth is that just because you have accepted him, your life will be easy. And anything that's teaching that in a church or from a pastor is not from the Bible of God. You guys, the prosperity preaching is not biblical. In fact, he is quite clear that the cost of following Jesus means being prepared for the storms that will indeed come. And this is true for you and for me. And right now, we are seeing social media posts from a Christian point of view that are being banned or deleted because of Jesus. We've never seen this before. All the while, posts from pedophiles and child molesters continue to have open platforms. Crazy, isn't it? You guys, we are not immune from being persecuted for our faith and our beliefs. 
And trust me, when you are over the target, Satan knows it and he's going to send you a ton of flack. And I had a very wise man that I know who is a pilot. And he was telling me that in World War II, the pilots, when they didn't have, if their systems went out, their navigation systems, they would know that they were over a target simply due to the flack that the plane was receiving. They would know were over the target because of the flack that was causing their plane to move. So when we are receiving a lot of flack from this world, we know we're over the target. So expect it, lean into it, and stay prayed up, my friends. Then the verse says, If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. That's a strong word, and Christ used it. And you guys, the day we accept Christ is the moment that we are different from this world. And we must all understand that this life as Christians, we will have trouble. And we can see that when we go to John sixteen thirty three next time. Then the verse says, because they do not know him who sent me. Many claim to know Jesus, yet they actually do not know him. To know someone means that you have spent time with them. You understand them. You've listened and invested into them with your time. So many claim to know of Jesus, yet sadly, many will never truly know him. And in Matthew seven twenty one through 23, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Wow, I've said this before, and I believe it with all my heart. It's the saddest verse in the entire Bible. I never knew you. And many people live their life as if they are going to have the time to get right with God before they die. But for now, they're going to just choose how they wish to live. And they're missing the point. You've got to spend time with the Almighty in order to know Him. Why would anyone on earth desire to spend an eternity with God, which is forever, that's a long time, who didn't spend time with Him on earth? That's really a very important question to ask yourselves and others. Then the it be- continues with him saying, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. And so what Jesus is telling his disciples is that those who have heard his voice have no excuse for denying Christ. And you guys, it goes for us today. The gospel is here for all. Yet many still reject his truths. There's no excuse for denying Christ once you know of him. And in this day and time, 
with our technology and podcasts and blogs and YouTube videos and the Bible being distributed in every single language on every single continent, you guys, we have no excuses. None. Then he says, but this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. And that's found in Psalm 35, 19, and again in 69, 4. Have you ever asked someone straight up why they deny or hate Christ? I believe many times people don't even really know the real reason why they reject Christ. Was it due to an upbringing, a false teaching, a bad experience in church, or is it just flat-out rejection? In the same vein, many cannot even articulate why they do believe in Christ. And you guys, it is important for all believers to know why and what they believe. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always. He doesn't say sometimes. He says always. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. Then the verses continue. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Such an important verse that often gets overlooked. You guys, the Advocate is the Holy Spirit. He sent it to us. He says that. Whom I will send to you. And as we discussed last week, what an amazing gift this is for all of us to have a spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit within each one of us. And this spirit of truth is that voice we hear telling us to be careful or to pay attention, to open our eyes, to proceed with caution. And the more we invite Him into our lives, the more we will clearly discern his voice. And you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. And so the dictionary says to testify is to serve as evidence or proof of something's existing or being the case. It is the duty of every believer to testify of Christ's work in their own lives. It's not a suggestion. You guys, it is a requirement. Look again at that verse. You must testify. So if you're not sharing your faith and your testimony, you're not following what Jesus wants us all to do and requires for us to do. So he says, you must testify. What is your testimony? If you are a Christian, you do have a testimony. And I grow weary of hearing believers say, oh, I just don't have a good testimony. Is there such a thing as a bad testimony for Christ? No. Your story is your testimony, and it's yours alone that God gave to you. Therefore, go and share it with others. And so before we end, I want to discuss the beautiful gift of the fruit of the Spirit each of us has been given. Since we're discussing fruit from the vine, it makes sense 
to dig a bit into Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Start claiming this fruit today. It's available for you. Each of these characteristics are gifts and cannot be attained without the help of the Holy Spirit, which you have. But we've got to rely on Him daily in order to reap and sow these fruits. So let's talk about them. Love. And we talked about agape love earlier. That's only through Christ and God. It's not a feeling. True love comes to us from the selfless act of Christ. True love is His love that can only be accepted as a gift. Joy. To have gladness and delight in our lives, that is joy. Human joy lasts for only a time. Joy from the Father is eternal and abides within every believer, even when things are difficult. Believers can certainly express anger, fear, and sadness, but we are to seek Him during these times, and He will remind us of His joy. Peace. Right now, many of you around the world are seeing anything and everything but peace. And the only way for true peace is for people to know and follow Christ. As believers, we need more than ever to show love and peace to all who are around us. And as a reminder, as a believer, we can remain in his peace despite what's going on everywhere else. Remaining in peace does not mean burying your head in the sand. It means while being aware of what is happening, we are not buying into the fear of those without Christ are experiencing. Forbearance. It means it's a refraining from the enforcement of something, such as a debt, a right, or an obligation. It means for borrowers meeting a certain criteria, the act of forbearing is patience. Patience is another word for forbearance. And it's a far-learned attribute of the fruit of the Spirit that is difficult for many. In our humanness, it is hard. As we mature by the fruit of Christ in our lives, patience becomes more and more mature. Kindness, then, it's closely related to goodness. These attributes truly separate the Christian from the non-believer. And this doesn't mean that those who aren't believers in Christ cannot exhibit kindness. It simply means the goodness experienced through Christ will not be experienced. Do all good people go to heaven? It's a question we hear a lot. Since no one is good as defined by God, the answer is no. Those who enter heaven do so not on the basis of merit, but on the basis of God's grace as bestowed by Jesus Christ. And we just saw that in the, our John, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one can enter without going through him. So goodness, and this is, again, being good in human standards, is not the same as goodness from God. We cannot be good on our own. I hear many people grapple with the thought that there are many good people on this earth who are not believers, so why would they not be allowed into heaven? 
And again, God made it very clear as we've been studying that he was the way and the truth and the life. Then we look at faithfulness. To be reliable and trustworthy will deem one to be faithful. We can be faithful to many things outside of God. In fact, many are faithful to more things outside of God than to God. Faithful means people who are faithful to work, family, a sports figure, a singer, an actor. But Christian faithfulness means constant submission to Christ and obedience to his teaching. Gentleness. This word is very closely related to humility, and it means as believers, we are to exhibit strength under control. This doesn't mean we are to roll over and be submissive in our weakness. This means giving God the credit while removing our own agenda from the picture, showing grace to those who don't deserve it, as well as us ourselves receiving the grace we don't deserve from Christ. It's a hard one. Then self-control. Wow, this one's hard. (laughs) By far, this is the fruit of the Spirit that can really keep us out of trouble. In our own flesh, we cannot stand against the enemy who is cunningly whispering into our ears to do anything that goes against God. But when we daily invite the Holy Spirit to guide us, He provides us with the strength to exhibit self-control. So in summary, what a beautiful lesson of abiding in this vine, Christ, and those tendrils that He wraps around us to anchor us firmly to Him and to His Word. It's so beautiful. And then being rooted in Him. So many lessons. And then you guys knowing that as a believer, we're going to face hard times and it's getting harder. There are many of you listening who are in countries where it's really, really difficult. But stay rooted in the faith. Turn to this chapter 15 when you need encouragement because he's there for you. So I want to leave you with a few challenge questions. How do you apply what you've learned today into your life? So question one. In what ways are you firmly rooted in Christ? And be specific. Number two, in what ways are you producing fruit for his kingdom? Three, how has God shown you his agape, selfless, undeserved love? And describe this love that you've received. Four, Have you ever experienced persecution for your faith? Describe the experience. And then five, prepare your dialogue of why you believe in Christ so that you can easily share it with others. It's important that you know why you believe what you believe. If you don't know, pray into this and start really getting clear on that. He will show you. And then finally, number six, which of the nine fruits of the Spirit do you need to work on? Ask the Holy Spirit to help you mature these fruits in your life. Well, until next time, chapter 16, I wish you all the best and pray that these words from God are a 
welcome blessing to your life. See you next time. Be sure to visit my website, drpaulamcdonald.com. Click on podcast and then exhale Bible discovery for self-study guides and resources to support you with each episode. 